0: You wanna give love to the city—that's a fact. But you're gonna need help if you wanna make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast. I'm Lisa Pruden,
2: and I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network.
1: Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds are carefully stewarded to generate money that supports charities in Edmonton and beyond.
2: On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well endowed.
1: On this episode, we learn about an endowment fund created to support the Royal Alberta Museum.
2: The endowment fund was created by the Friends of the Royal Alberta Museum Society, or FRAMS for short. FRAMS is a non-profit membership organization. They serve as a link between the museum and the community.
1: And they do that in all sorts of ways, from creating publications, hosting events, creating programming, and even supporting collections and the exhibitions at the museum. All to connect you and I with the history and stories found within the museum's collection.
2: FRAMS is celebrating its 40th anniversary, Our correspondent, Scott Lilwall, visited the Royal Alberta Museum to find out more about how FRAMS helps make their magic happen.
3: It's a very busy afternoon at the Royal Alberta Museum. Families come in through the front doors and pass through the large lobby. Up above them, a century-old biplane hangs suspended from the ceiling. Once past the admission desk, Many strollers are splitting off to the left. There's a sun-drenched hallway that leads down to the children's gallery and a packed room full of bugs.
4: Mexican red knee tarantula. It's so bad.
3: But if you head straight, you'll find a wide, spiraling staircase that takes you up to the second level. Go through a set of doors there, and you'll step into an ancient Alberta. Uh,
0: okay, so we're, we've entered uh, the Natural History Gallery, uh, the Alberta Museum, and so this gallery really tells, again, that natural history of our province, um, going from ancient Alberta, we've got rocks and minerals, we've got Ice Age Alberta, and then we've got um, uh, some of the dioramas that I know were fan favorites from the old museum. So some of those dioramas from the old museum have been moved here, and then there's some new ones that joined them as well. So, My name is Megan Patterson, I'm the executive director of the Royal Alberta Museum. I've been with the museum for just over a year now. A lot to learn, yes, and I have in no way learned it all yet.
3: Towering over most of the displays here is a gigantic mammoth skeleton. The cast is more than a dozen feet tall, with a massive set of curved tusks that loom over anyone who gets near. It's one of those things. I mean, you know, you you see, you see, like images of a woolly mammoth. I know what an elephant looks like. This is
0: no; these are much larger. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Yeah, and so um, we've got several mammoths throughout the museum. Obviously, that's our mascot all, uh, uh, at the museum, um, including these cast skeletons uh, up here and um, uh, the bronze casts that are in the, in the lobby as well.
3: Just like every other attraction relies on drawing in crowds, it's been a turbulent couple of years for the Ram. Even though the museum has worked hard to find ways to reach people while their doors have been closed during the pandemic, Megan notes there's nothing quite like seeing the actual artifacts, like this gigantic skeleton, up close and personal.
0: Yeah it was an interesting time for sure, um, our team really did a, a great job of finding new ways to interact with people um, that normally would have come into our physical spaces, how do we reach people online, how do we engage people in new ways and so I think we've been able to, to build new relationships and reach new audiences but um, you know there is something about being in a in a museum space and seeing the, the objects and artifacts that kind of uh, brings new meaning to, to, to the stories that we tell. And,
3: if one looks closely, right beside the placard that gives more details about this ancient behemoth, you might notice a smaller square sign. One that says, donated by the Friends of the Royal Alberta Museum. Frams, as the group is called, is a charity and nonprofit that helps support the museum in its quest to tell Alberta's story. And once you notice that one placard, more will quickly follow. In the back of my mind, we had a list. We had a small list of key items that we had contributed. That's Rav Rupnarein, the president of Frams. This year marks the nonprofit's 40th anniversary and over those four decades Frams has acquired and donated many artifacts to the museum. So many in fact that Frams itself wasn't sure exactly how many until very recently. But when the final count came in and it was like 10,000,
5: it was like, "Oh my, I I had, I myself had no idea it was that high." You know, I'm back in my head I'm thinking oh, 132, 140 maybe items. Yeah. That was quite surprising. And we actually do have the inventory to list now. Sure. I mean, uh, keep in mind, uh, some of the 10,000 items are, you know, a lot of rocks and minerals.
3: (laughs) But they count. But they count. Every
4: single one counts. That's right.
3: And that voice right there is Drew Delbar, Fram's vice president.
4: There's a lot of, you know, it's... It's like the, the Ram likes to say, one of their one of the uh, largest collections they have is the, the person who looks after all of the different seeds and, and small things, right? Because every single one is considered a different <laughs> item, so they have millions of items they're looking after. But of course, all 10,000 aren't on display. Uh, you know, like any museum, uh, they can only display a fraction of the items that they have in their collection. I don't remember the exact percentage. Uh, that's a good question for uh, Megan when you talked to her later today about the exact percentage of items that are that are shown versus behind the scenes. Uh, but I do know that a significant percentage of the items that uh, Framps has gifted to the museum over the years uh, are out on display. Or if they're not, they're often used in school programming or other sort of uh, you know, educational opportunities, even if they're not out on display full time.
3: So it's fair to say that Frams has been very good friends with the museum over the years. It's primarily a volunteer-run organization and was started in 1982 to help support the museum's mission of education and research. People got together who had a passion for museums
5: and, uh, you know, they wrote to the Alberta government at the time to see if they can form a society to help support the museum in terms of running various programs, getting more people into the museum. At the time, back in the 80s, um, actually until they actually moved into this new location, um, the museum never had a membership program. Um, it's only recently that they now started a Mammoth Pass uh, for people who want to join the RAM, but the Friends of the Royal Alberta Museum Society was always a membership-driven organization. Uh, people who love museums could, you know, buy a membership from the society. You would get certain perks that go along with that, you know. Behind-the-scenes tours, um, you know, kind of first to see exhibits that would come in, uh, and uh, you know, I think overall, as the years have gone by, you know, it's it's the dynamic has changed a bit, the relationship has changed a bit, um, and I think you know we've now, as we you know enter <laughs> coming out of the pandemic, it uh, it looks like you know we are more of a let's say a funding organization for the for the museum.
4: Although the museum is a really large organization we as a friend society are actually relatively small which may surprise some people you know you think oh you're you know the largest museum in western canada you must have a huge friend society and you know uh, we operate with one full-time staff person and a board of up to 12 uh, volunteers and then a whole bunch of volunteers on our committees and and um planning our events and some of our programming as well. So we are very volunteer-driven, you know, we wouldn't survive as a society without the the dedication of volunteers. Our boards have been very, very active over our 40-year history. They, uh, you know, we, as Raph mentioned, we're not just a governance board, we are an operations board. We are planning the events, we are sending out the emails, we're processing memberships, uh, you know, and we do this all in our volunteer time. Uh, We all have day jobs. Uh, Most of us do. Some of us are retired, but most of us have day jobs. And, uh, you know, we're working in the evenings and weekends, and we do it because we love it. We do it because we love the museum. We're passionate about uh, this institution, and we want to see it flourish and grow as an organization and uh, connect with the community.
3: Frams is supported through memberships and donations. But this year, the organization has taken another step, one that will help provide some long-term stability to their funding. They've set up a $60,000 endowment fund with the Edmonton Community Foundation. So in the last
4: five or 10 years, we've had a dream to sort of set up an endowment. Uh, You know, the organization has uh, approached and reached 40 years now. And so as at this age, we figured that it's time to start thinking about our long-term sustainability and future. And uh, we are really proud this past year to finally uh, put some action behind all those plans and to create an endowment with ECF.
3: The process works like any other endowment fund. Frams raised the initial money and then gave it to the ECF to be invested. Now, once a year, Frams will receive the interest that that fund has made. It provides a steady source of income for the organization each year. And since it's just the interest, not that initial investment that gets touched, Drew says it provides some long term help to keep Frams operations running.
4: Uh, We're really excited about the long term stability that will help us to provide. Right. You know, um, with endowments, they give that long-term sustained funding and they can grow over time and uh, I think it's really gonna help us make sure that the organization society is around for another 40 years and there's also the flexibility with those dollars you know we do have a very we have an agreement with ECF about you know generally what we can use it for but the, the agreement is very broad and that we can use it f- to support the operations of our society uh, but that agreement's also written in such a way that if our society were ever to not exist down the road um, those funds could be used for a similar type of purpose because the principle that's in there can never be taken out you can never get that money back um, so the agreements are written in such a way that if if organizations if boards if people are no longer around uh, those money monies can still be given to a specific purpose and goal so ours would probably be heritage and history of, uh, of Alberta um, but you know the hope is that with the endowment is that the organization can continue to uh, exist and, and continue to thrive for many years.
3: As we step out of the natural history section and go back down those spiral stairs, we end up in a gallery dedicated to Alberta's more recent past.
0: So we're currently standing in the Human History Hall on the first floor of the Royal Alberta Museum and in this gallery really we are looking at the history of of people uh, living in our province. So we begin, you know, tens of thousands of years ago uh, with some of our archaeological collections and then we move into um, settlement history. Uh, all the way up until modern day history as well. So we, we tell a pretty comprehensive history of Alberta. We've got, um, like I mentioned, a lot of archaeological objects, um, some objects from down near a uh, head-smashed-in buffalo jump. Um, we've got you know, a, a post from the original Fort Edmonton, um, we've got military government history objects, uh, a lot of objects representing indigenous cultures in Alberta, um, and then some modern-day objects, a little oilers history, a little uh, uh, government protest history, a uh, little bit of everything really. I think it's important for us as a museum to to take a, a long look at the, at, at the story of Alberta and t- and tell the different kinds of stories of the different kinds of people who have always lived here and then who have come to this province and and made it their home. And I think when you look around this gallery in particular, you see the diversity of those stories and the ways that all of these different peoples and communities and groups have contributed to uh, where we are today and and illustrate kind of the potential for where we can go uh, in the future moving
3: forward. In this gallery, you'll find more items acquired by Frams. One of the most striking is blood tears. The artwork is by Indigenous artist Alex John Vie, and it reflects the years that he spent at a residential school in northern Alberta.
4: One of the other um, examples I'll give of something we purchased recently is uh, a variety of Indigenous um, art and clothing. Uh, this was a request that came from the RAM uh, a couple of years ago. They were looking to uh, refresh one of their exhibitions or one of their exhibit cases, uh, and they came to us uh asking if we help support t- purchasing some earrings on an address An address yes
5: um,
3: from uh, a well-known well-known indigenous designer
5: here in Canada.
3: However, acquiring these physical objects are just one of the many ways that Frams works closely with the museum. As Rav points out, the RAM is like many other government institutions. It has a budget that is set and allocated each year, and that means it doesn't always have the ability to move things around for new opportunities that might come up. He points to the recent Breathe exhibit as one such opportunity. It displayed handmade masks crafted by Indigenous artists in traditional styles to highlight resiliency throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. The ram was offered the chance to display the exhibit for several months in 2021, but it didn't have the money available in the budget to do so. But Frams was able to help. So we kind of stepped in and helped
5: with uh, funding the artistic fees to uh, bring that here and run it for, correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, uh, three, three months that exhibit ran. Yes. So, um, you know, that's one, one great example of what we were, were able to do. You know, just because, again, like I say, the the museum has their budget, but it gets allocated. Sometimes there's things that come up that they go, well, that would be great. We need to get that here. And especially last year coming, well, sort of coming out of a pandemic, you know, that little five-month window that we had, that opportunity. It was great to get
3: people back into the museum. That part right there, getting people back into the museum, that's also become a very big part of what Frams does. All the artifacts in RAM help tell our story, but a story needs an audience. Drew says that in recent years, much of the work that Frams has done has shifted to helping open the museum up to people who might otherwise never get a chance to experience it.
4: Yeah, our organization has really shifted and evolved over our 40 years, as you know, Rob was talking about earlier. A uh, relationship with the museum looked way different back in the early 80s you know at one time we used to run the admissions desk in the gift shop uh, at the old museum you know that hasn't been in place for probably a couple decades now at least uh, but we had a, a very different relationship at the time you know we we were very operational and over the years we've shifted to be a bit more focused on fundraising membership uh, and in the most more recent years i would say we very much focused on providing uh, events and access to the museum uh, so one of the programs that we're really proud of is something called the GO program. It's an access program that allows uh, uh, Albertans to come and visit the museum if, uh, if the cost of admission is a barrier. So we work with uh, agencies and social services organizations to provide free admission uh, to people, to families, children, adults, newcomers to Canada, uh, so that they can come and experience this amazing collection of stories and artifacts in, in the museum.
5: The GO program gives access to um, certain individuals who might not be able to afford to come to the museum. Um, it's works through different societies and different agencies where we are able to hand out passes.
3: Since the late 90s Frams in the museum have also been partners in the Indigenous Student Museum internship program.
4: And this has been going on for over 20 years now and uh, It's an opportunity for Indigenous post-secondary students to come and actually have a 16 week paid work experience here at the museum. Uh, And so for the last number of years, we've had two different students that have come and worked in various departments. They can work in marketing, they can work with a curator, they can work with our educational team here at the museum. Uh, It's really cross-functional and cross-disciplinary what they can do. Uh, and it's amazing to see where some of those students have gone on. Many of them have stayed sort of within the history, museum, curatorial realm, and some of them haven't, some of them have gone off to teaching and doing other things, but they've, uh, you know, when we've chatted with them, they've really uh, appreciated the experience that they've had working here at the museum.
5: I believe in that time we've had roughly close to 50 interns that have run through the, the program. this year. Actually, over the last two years, we've been lucky enough to have PSILS Insurance be one of the major sponsors for the ISMI program. And, um, you know, we, like any charitable organization, we apply for grants and um, funding through different uh, institutions to uh, get money to be able to, you know, run those programs. It's important to provide access uh, to this museum, um, and I think in general to any, any museum, and just because of the history and especially in alberta and the alberta culture that is is promoted here especially for again people that just wouldn't have the ability to come here or are newcomers to to canada and newcomers to alberta it just i think provides a sense of where where you're you know coming from where you're going to what does this province mean what does the history of Canada provide? You know, I think it's, it's good from an educational standpoint, it's good from a cultural standpoint. You know, it shows people that, you know, there's a diversity here and they're, they're not alone, regardless of what country or area they're, they're coming from as, as newcomers.
4: I'll add that we, uh, we like to say that our programs open doors and open minds. Um, you know, I think uh, an important value of our programs is about providing lifelong education to people. Um, and that's what museums and cultural institutions do, right? There's, of course, formalized learning that happens in a classroom when schools come here, but uh, this is learning that happens in the evenings and in the weekends, right? That's what museums are for, is to continue the process of learning and education, Uh, and that's something we as a society really value. Uh, You know, all of our events are focused around that too, is around providing people information and a chance to ask questions and explore history and culture and difficult questions sometimes too uh, but that's what museums make you do they make you think they make you reflect on yourself and your place within this community and this province and uh, that should be something that's available to everybody and so that's why these programs are very important to us and why we we invest a lot of time and resources into them.
3: As Fram celebrates its 40th anniversary, both Rav and Drew say the endowment fund will help the organization plan for the decades to come. And it also provides another avenue for anyone who wishes to support Frams in their mission.
4: There is so many different ways you can support Frams. I mean, making a donation through our website or through the ECF's website is just one of them. Uh, but you can also choose to volunteer your time with us. We are always looking for new people to get involved, help us plan events and support some of the programs we offer. Uh, but you can also become a member as well. That's a great way to support us. Uh, our memberships include access to the museum and you get to join a community of like-minded, passionate individuals who love history and who love uh, who love the RAM. Uh, so there's lots of different ways you can support, whether it's through your time, through your money, through your passion, you can just come to our events. Uh, you can sign up to our mailing list and to hear about, you know, the different lectures and tours and dining with friends that we offer throughout the year. Uh, there's plenty of ways to support France.
5: You know, becoming a member gives you access to those those events and to those little private tours the back of room tours behind the museum that um, you normally, a normal person just coming to the museum wouldn't, wouldn't get. Um, um, The fact that we have such a beautiful institution in our own province um, that promotes Alberta history and promotes world history, uh, human history, I think is incredibly important.
3: With the help of Frams and its dedicated volunteers, Megan says the Royal Alberta Museum will continue to evolve and change the way that it tells Alberta stories.
0: You know, I think museums are really important uh, places for people to come and to ask questions, um, to learn about, like I said, where, where we've come from, where we could go. Um, and have that place where these conversations can happen. And I think one of the really important pieces to remember is that, you know, while museums hold a lot of collections and the staff here have a great deal of expertise, it's a reciprocal kind of learning relationship. We learn as much from our visitors and uh, the communities we engage with as they, you know, can learn from uh, the the exhibitions we have on and and the collections that we hold here. So uh, I think we're all kind of learning from each other and it's about um, how we bring people uh, together.
2: A sincere thank you to Scott Lilwall for bringing us this story. And thanks to Megan Patterson, the Executive Director at the Royal Alberta Museum, Rav Rupinaran, President of FRAMS, and Drew Delbar, FRAMS Vice President, for sharing their time with us.
1: You can find out more about what's on at the Royal Alberta Museum or about the Friends of Royal Alberta Museum Society on their website. And those are royalalbertamuseum.ca and frams.ca. That's F-R-A-M-S Or you can just head over to our show notes for the links.
2: We'll also have links to ECF's Well Endowed Web Show and the latest on our blog. While you're checking out all our links, don't forget to take a look at our upcoming granting deadlines and funding opportunities.
1: Oh, and for those, we want to highlight two granting opportunities that are happening right now. The first is ECF's Young Edmonton Grants. This program funds projects initiated, led, and organized by Young Edmonton and area residents between the ages of 13 and 24. Grant requests can be made for up to $3,000, and the deadline to apply is coming up fast on October 15th.
2: And the second opportunity is another youth-focused grant, Youth Voice. Youth voice grants are available for innovative projects or activities that are initiated, led, and organized by young students currently enrolled in grades 7 through 12 in a school within the tri-region area. So that includes Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, Parkland County, and surrounding First Nations. These grants are for youth teams of two or more students, and they can apply for up to $5,000 for innovative youth-led projects that raise awareness of a community issue, address a community need, or resolve an identified challenge in their community deadline to apply is october 31st
1: well that brings us to the end of the show
2: thanks so much for sharing your time with us
1: we hope you enjoyed it if you did please share it with everyone you know
2: and please leave us a review on apple podcasts those reviews help new listeners find our show
1: you can also connect with us on facebook where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures
2: thanks again for tuning in we've been your hosts andrew paul
1: and lisa pruden until Until next time.
2: time